You're very well. welcome back to Saturday Chronicle here on Scarif Bay Community Radio. Well, John, our next guest, uh, a historian of note. Indeed. A man, we were down in Broadford just before Christmas and we were coming live from the country store and we couldn't get him in. Um, we got him for a few minutes on the phone. Yeah. Um, but uh, we're more privileged today in that we have him in studio. Pat O'Brien, you're very welcome again to Saturday Chronicle here on Scarif Bay. Thank you, men. Nice son, a son of Stasia and Peter. That's right. Yes. Of, of happy, happy memory. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, Pat, retired primary school teacher, principal, man with a deep interest in your, the history of your community and a deep interest in history, period. I know there are so many aspects of the historical side which we could explore in, in uh, a half an hour with you. But I have to ask you, what's the status of the book at the moment? Um, OK, John and, and Jim. Uh, first of all, just to say, I never reached the exalted uh, title of a principal. Uh, my principal for almost for over 30 years was uh, the redoubtable Sean Heher over there. We had a, we had a very... Oh. Co- um, with a great time, and I love teaching in yeah. Kikishan. Um I suppose, to be honest, John, a lot of people are annoyed almost when, when I mentioned um, the, the book now because it has been going on for a long time. Decades, in fact. Mm. And maybe I'd say part of the reason for that is uh, Broadford Parish has an absolutely fascinating amount of history. Geographically, it's a very large parish. And where would one start with it? Well, I suppose I started decades ago. And it was at an INTO meeting. I was always interested growing up. You must remember I was growing up in, in Broadford in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, very little television. Uh, regular visitors to the house from Drummond, from other parts, with a lot of stories to tell. Talking about maybe the first county final played in, in the middle field. Speaking about Dolmans, about the Picketai Wee, which was the, the, one of the famous folklore stories in Broadford. Now were they were they being talked about in the... In the kitchen. They were being talked about now and then in the kitchen together with, with other information on um, maybe the, the merchant families, the landlord families. Yeah. Because, again, what I'm saying, John, is we'll say it was a time prior to, to television dominating the, the conversation. So I picked up little snippets and I was intrigued in, uh, about the history of, of my own place. Yes. So really I started from there. There was very little published at that time in, on local history and local parishes like Broadford. Mm. But I must pay tribute to one man, and that is Sean Kears in Killaloo. Oh, yes. After yes. a 90 meeting one night here in Scarif, maybe you remember it, Jim, I don't know, uh, Sean decided to take, hold on to people, and he was here in Scarif, I think it was in Mike Mack's pub, and um, he gave them, let's say, a seminar on sources for local history of, of parishes in East Clare. To be, to be honest, most people are anxious to finish up and go for a cup of coffee or a beer or whatever. <laughs> but John, he gave me valuable source, or Sean gave me valuable sources for the history of Broadford, and that kicked me off. Mm-hmm. And over the last number of years, as I say, decades, I spent a lot of time in the National Library, National Archives in London and different places researching the history of Broadford. Broadford was made up of two civil parishes, you, you tell us. That's right. And geographically, Jim, it's a, it's a large parish of over 22,000 acres of land. Mm. It's the two civil parishes of Kilsidey, which is the Broadford end, and Kilkennedy, which is the Kilban end. 
And really, when you go back into uh, researching history, you don't find anything about with the name Broadford prior to maybe 1620 or thereabouts. The records you get are under the title Kilsiley or Kennedy. And what happened to those names? They obviously were reduced in, in usage over time. They did, even though they were still being used as a civil or state parish. Right into the late 19th century, you find references, if you look for Griffith's valuation or whatever, it's under Kilsiley or under Kennedy. But the Catholic uh, diocese in the early part of the 19th century formed the Catholic parishes, and it formed the Catholic parish of Broadford, which was an amalgamation of Kilsiley, most of Kilsiley, and all of Kennedy. Certain townlands in Kilsiley were either given to Clonlara Parish or O'Callan's Mills Parish. Mm. Okay, so nowadays, I suppose, parishes are, are when we regard a par or look at a parish, it's the Catholic parish we look at, and that's probably tied up with GA identity as well. Almost completely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the earliest reference to Broadford. It came in 1627, and actually yeah. 2027, John, should be an auspicious date, because that will mark 400 years since Broadford actually got an official charter. It's one of the only uh, villages in Clare that actually has a, a royal charter. How, got, did they, how did they pull that off? There was a, a McNamara chieftain out in uh, Dune um, Castle, and he was very influential, and he got a charter, or uh, maybe that's a grandiose title for it, but he, he got a patent or charter to open um, a, weekly fair, uh, a weekly mart and a twice-yearly fair at All Lehen, mm. All Lehen being the, the old Irish uh, yeah, yeah, words, yeah. which was translated as Broadford. Because just to say again, uh, All Lehen, Broadford, was situated there at the crossing at a, at a fording point on the O'Garney, mm. or the Broadford River. Yeah. Uh, and if you think of the Broadford River today, where the bridge is, after the famine, Dune Lake and uh, the tributaries of Dune Lake were yes. all lowered. And uh, the, the Dune Lake and the river we're looking at today is much lower than it was during the famine period, for instance. Yeah. There was a huge amount of blasting and uh, work carried out on the river. And formerly Dune Lake almost came, came up as far as Broadford itself. Mm. So the crossing point there for two of the main routes in Clare, North Clare to Limerick, and from Innes, Tulla, O'Brien's uh, Bridge, Killaloo, onto Dublin, ran through Broadford. So that's why Broadford was um, uh, established in the early 17th century. And tell me, over the years, would Broadford have looked to Limerick as its home base for shopping or would the focus have been on Ennis? Um, without a doubt, the tendency was towards Limerick as far as I can see. Yeah. I even came across a journal uh, of a landlady in, in Broadford in the mid-19th century and uh, she was merely going of Violet Hill and Throughout all of her entries, there's virtually no mention of Innes. It's either Tulla or Limerick. Mm -hmm. Because, again, you see parts of Broadford Parish, the lower end there, uh, close to Kilmore, is no more than four or five miles north of Limerick. That's right. Yeah. And um, it was connected with the Bianconi 
uh, cars and with transport links. Had you, had you links. A, sta- a staging uh, post in Broadford? Broadford was an important staging post, John. Yeah, like, is, do we know the building? Um, it's part of where, um, what we would know as McDonald's, one of the outbuildings of McDonald's um, in, in the village. Do that, you know that, Jim? No. Oh, yeah. uh, you're coming through, okay, you're coming up the village from the Limerick direction. Yeah. Uh, McDonald's is that um, large building that's facing, facing you. you. Facing oh, you. Oh, oh, yes, oh, yes. Looking yes. down. Yes. There's nobody living there at the moment. No, no, it was formerly the post office up until its closure. Yes. But in fact, if you go back 100 years, McDonald's was one of the great merchant houses of East Clare. And really? McDonald's were yeah. a very important political family. Yeah. But when the Free State was formed, um, th- that would be one of the businesses that declined. Mm. But so, if you, yeah, it would have been an important place then, and a busy place, given you said that uh, it was at the junction of you know routes uh, to and from Limerick and Dublin and Ennis. Hugely, Jim, and in fact, Broadford would have gone into a, a rapid period of decline after the formation of our new state. The, there was a very fine courthouse there, which was burned out during the Civil War. Post office is gone. The police barracks is gone. There was a dispensary covering a population of 10,000 people, resident doctor, uh, regular uh, transport links with Limerick. And it was um, a sales station, if you like, for the Broadford Slate. The Slate qualities were... Where were they, actually? They were on the hillside, most especially Killis, Kilsiley and and Darski. And what what impact, Pat, did the the, the Slate Quarry have on the social and economic life of the in area. In the early 19th century, John, they would have been hugely important. Broadford Slate was regarded as one of the, the better slates and a lot of people, uh, surveys were carried out and the expectation was that the Broadford Slate was going to take over, let's say, whatever commercial slate market there was at that time. Yeah. But the problem was that most of the slate quarries were worked by local families as family enterprises. And certain families like the Dials, the Fahis, Savages and others were associated did, did with they, them. Did they own land on which the, the, the slate was? Mostly they rented the land very rented. much from the Bintley family but, and they worked the, the quarries. But the problem, John, was that as a family concern, yeah. they could only go down a certain depth. And yeah. very often the water came in and flooded the, the quarries, meaning that they moved on to excavate a new one. Yeah. And then when commercial quarrying took place, it took place over in Portru, which gave you Killaloo Slate. Yeah. And that really was the end of Broadford Slate quarries. A different type of, of slate? No, the same vein of slate. Yeah. But when, uh, um, when the quarries were open commercially, it happened on the other side of the River Shannon at Portru, yeah. and they became known, ironically, as Killaloo Slate. You mentioned in your story there Bentley. Yeah, that's a name that still exists in It, it does in indeed. Broadford, the, it? the Bentleys were uh, one of the, the great uh, landed families yeah. in Broadford uh, from the mid-17th century, right? Uh, Digby Bentley, I think, died in the mid-1950s. And, of course, the name Bentley was... 1950s? Uh, yes. For over 300 years, they were resident in Hullstown House. Oh, yes, when, I know that. When you're coming yeah. down yeah. from Limerick yeah. is there on your left-hand side, across, thankfully still it, it's still... Across from P.J. Mason's. Yes, yeah. it's intact, though un, unoccupied. Mm. And many Bintley uh, uh, fa- family members were very involved in other affairs in Broadford, like um, hurling, oh, yeah. social yeah. issues. Yeah. and Yeah. And so. yeah. 
How about um, what other landed families would be would we associate with Broadford well, going in, back over the last few centuries? In the village, Jim, the two great families were the Bentleys of Huddlestone and the Goings of Irish Hill. Now, when you're coming up the village, you come to the health centre. Uh, it's there on your right-hand side above the church, and you will see a very fine entrance. That was the entrance to Irish Hill House, which was further up on the hill, in a magnificent site, looking down, you could imagine, looking out over Dune Lake. So the Going family were there, the Bintley family were in Huddlestown, but the wealthiest family of them all were the Arthur family, who were in Glenombra, Glenombra House, which is in Kilbane. The, they were the artists of Limerick City, you know. If you oh, know, yes, if, yes. If you have Patrick, Ellen, all those streets were called after members, Key were called after members of the Arthur family. Their main house was in Broadford Parish in Glenormand and Kilbane. They had an estate of over 10,000 acres. So they were of a, whilst the, the Bintley family and the Goings were resident landlords, resident locally, involved as magistrates, involved in road building and all local development. The artists were of a greater wealth. They had their Parisian education and their uh, London townhouse and their Dublin townhouse, which coincidentally now I think is the OPW offices of today. They were an extremely wealthy family. How did they, by the way, it's a matter of interest, <coughs> how did the transfer of property happen? You know, that these names, which are certainly not, you know, classic traditional clear names in many instances no uh, they, they acquired the land either bought it or uh, in the artists uh, they were extremely wealthy family yeah. they were a catholic family in limerick they were they uh, were held on to their land during the they were, they were able to buy the glenomer estate mm. in during fact there's there's a plaque inside in arthur's key yes which which lists all does, the yeah the i think yeah. the mayors of limbrick possibly mm. over a long long period of the archers incredible amount of history yeah. and yeah. just to mention two other houses then sorry maybe maybe possibly three woodfield house is over there on the banks of um dune uh, dune lake it is was originally at the home of the of the bridgman family went through a lot of different ownerships beautifully restored maybe the last 10-15 years still standing but <coughs> probably the biggest loss to Broadford was the demolition of Dune House where was that? now if the you, if, yes right on the lake if you're going out let's imagine going from Broadford to Tulla yeah. you go to the, yeah. the, yeah. the straight stretch and then you, you, you're forced to take an immediate right well just there at your left there's the entrance to what was Dune House that was supposed to have been a really classic mansion and one can only and it was only it demolished in the 1920s or 30s because of the new rates. That the rates, take the roof yes, off. Yes. That was oh, the seat of the Butler family and later of families including Whitehead, the inventor of the torpedo. So, um, and another house that then that was much later but a very fine house is if you're coming out of Broadford to Scarif. Oh, the, on the right, the lodge. Annelly yeah, Lodge. Annelly Lodge. Annelly. Yeah. What's the background to that place? It belonged to Lord Annerley, who was, uh, at one stage, the wealthiest man in Ireland, and he owned Luttrellstown in Dublin, which, is, again, is a magnificent house. But Annerley Lodge was just built as a sporting lodge. Yeah. It showed the, the wealth. He kept the gamekeeper there, and much of the mountain stretching off behind him was uh, a protected area. Was, I'm, I'm just wondering now, then, was the, the attraction of the outsider to purchase or acquire land in the Broadford area. Was that in any way associated with the proximity to Georgia and Limerick? And 
certainly uh, the, most of the local families, be it the Goings and the Arthurs and others, will say, John, most of their business connections, social connections, were with families in Limerick. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, that was the the natural fall was yeah. back in towards Limerick, yeah. and it's interesting when I'm doing the local research. It's probably a part a part of the de- delay that I I've had in ever completing anything. Is you're as likely to find a reference to Broadford Parish in the Limerick Chronicle or the Tipperary Vindicator as you are in the Clare Journal. I'm not saying there won't be mentions in the Clare Journal, but I'm saying. It's um, Limerick focused. Very often. Now, a, a good co- good colleague and friend, you know him well, David Fleming. Yes. David has <clears throat> just finished his book on the Perrys yes. of Perry Square. All right, lovely. And that will come out, uh, we're expecting it, I think, in the next couple of months, I think. Two months, I think, yeah. yeah. Um, the, the Perrys, any connection at all with Rothford? They would have been just mentioned socially as ha- having, conne- uh, you know, but the, the the big family, as I say, would have been ser- uh, relation to Limerick and Limerick merchants would have been the artists. Mm. Okay. You mentioned there a while ago um, Clenumra yeah. in, in Kilban. Yes. Um, and, of course, the, the hurling field in Broadford is Clenumra Park, if yes. I'm correct. What's the... The basis of that. Yeah, but that's a, 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 a that's a lovely topic, Jim. And the person who was most responsible for calling that field, Glenomra, Glenomra, mm-hmm. the Amber Valley, was Padraig Bacon. Uh, Padraig was a great Irish scholar, of course. John mm-hmm. John would know him so very well. And he, um, Perry Vaughan Padraig, his big interest was the Irish language and the Irish culture. And um, Glenomra is the the amber colour that the whole, that the valley takes, some uh, especially on a summer's <coughs> evening when the sun is setting, the whole place seems to light up. It was regarded as one of the most scenic places in the county, Glenomra. Um, it's not an actual townland. It's more one of those divisions of land that we uh, name that we used. So that's and and also we we'll say Jim when hurling was uh, commenced in the eighteen eighties, most of the Broadford teams that achieved any were significant at that time were either called Glenomra or Kilban. And coincidentally, I got a, quest, um, um, a, re- a phone call last night from a historian who was researching uh, the invasion team, of a, the, the hurling invasion team of 1888, where we sent 51 hurlers to New York to demonstrate hurling, to find that most of them fell in love with New York and failed to return. <laughs> There were three Clare players on that, on that team, yeah. and one of them was a John O'Rourke of Glenomra. So that's where the, that's the, the, the name Glenomra came, yeah. and why we decided to keep it as yeah. a, a... As you're talking about, about, about uh, names of, uh, let's say, like Glenomra, is there any history associated with the naming of fields in the Broadford area? There is. And uh, even apart from the fields, John, we, there are some fantastic townland names. Yeah. Clongaheen, Clunaconry, Gortnagonilla. As Gortnagonilla. Gort, uh, connected with uh, Ogunilo, oh. the ploughed field of the uh, Ogunilas oh, or, or whatever. Yeah. You have Belly Kelly, you know, you could be, you have some fantastic um, uh, names. But in the 1930s, there was a. I think it was John, he was a Mr. Hawk, he was, he was um, the headmaster in Kilbane. And as part of the school 
folk survey, he also did a survey on some of the field names of Kilbane. Is that extant? It is, and I hope to be... Will you be incorporating that into your... I have no great choice on it, including everything. Indeed, (laughs) indeed. Because if you don't do it, there's every, every likelihood that they'll be lost forever. Well, even the great thing would be if somebody builds a new house and they're looking for a, pl- for, for a name of a house or whatever. It's an idea. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Our listeners out this, yeah. this morning, mm-hmm. I'm quite sure, will ponder that, yeah. particularly yeah. those who are in the, in the Broadford area. Yeah. Yeah. What a beautiful way to actually style your house. Yeah. Yes, You have a history associated yeah. with it. But I, I, I'm very keen on the, on the, the fields, yes. uh, those old names. For, uh, do, you have, do you have that in your farm at home? There are a few. There's nothing very fancy now, yeah. but um, they would. Ha- sometimes they would have names of people who lived yes. uh, going back in the like. Do you know we we there's um we'll say Beston's Hill. Yes. Uh, and there's a name. I'm trying to think of it now. Called something else because yes. someone else lived there. Yes. And and you have that. But the great thing know? about his survey when he, when he did it, Jim, was it was 19, the 1930s. He was gone back into a lot of the old Irish names of still extent. You know yeah. what I mean. So but, it was a great advantage. When did the language cease to be used in the Broadford area? The Irish language. That really fascinates me, because um, if you go back into the 1901 census. Yes. My great great, I think it was great, I don't know how many great grandmother, yeah. was, was Anastasia McNamara. She was living in uh, Alski. She was 81, and she was the grandmother in the house of a very large family. Yeah. She was Anastasia uh, McNamara, uh, McNamara married to O'Connell. Mm. She was the only person in that house able to speak Irish and English. And if when I looked at the 1901 census for Broadford, all of the, the people, there was a McDonald, a Dial, and other, other people in their 80s, they were the only people that were able to speak Irish and English, mm. which me- meant really that when she was born in the 1820s, Irish was still being spoken in, in, uh, in Broadford. In Broadford. Okay. And I thought it was interesting during a, a court case in Innes in the 1840s, and the court, the case was reported in English. The court had to imply an interpreter, because most of the people giving evidence were giving right. it through Irish. Mm. So yes. it died out very much 1820s to eighteen forty period. Okay, so that leads me to to ask you, what impact the actual famine, because it's been mentioned a few times yeah. in your conversation up to this, uh, what impact it had on. Um, on Broadford, absolute decimation. Decimation. I, um, Aidan, my son, um, would be into good into charts and so on. Whereas I mostly like to write the history of, yes. of what happens, and I give him the figures. And when he did um, his graphs, he was able to prove that Broadford was one of the most affected parishes in the entire country during the famine. Just to summarise it very briefly, in 1841, our population had reached 8,200 people. Now, that would be for the population of... The entire parish, Kilsyde and Killikinity. The two, yeah. 8,200 people. I suppose today it has 900 or thereabouts. I'm subject to correction on that. Yeah. Within three years of the famine, in 1851, it had had fallen from 8,200 to 4,200. A half. Yes. So that decline was... Drastic and continuous after that, because after that, immigration really kicked in yeah. and the population continued to decline. 
So it was decimation, John. And so where, where was the target for the, the migrant? Uh, very much the United States. States. Are there little pockets of East Clare, uh, you know, roots in East Clare out there in, in America? There were. And, but they began to disperse over a period of time. And uh, as people moved west and moved in different directions, and America is such a mobile country anyway, that we'll say it's not like you'd hear of uh, communities immigrating in the 1960s and pockets still surviving of that community today. Mm. The Broadford diaspora mm. would be exceptionally well dispersed. But there is a girl in Pauline Cass is her name, in Australia, who has done a huge amount of, and if people go online, they can find that. Uh, she's done a huge amount of research on immigration from Broadford to Australia. Mm-hmm. And she has written about uh, a book, actually, a very fine book about her ancestors, uh, Mary O'Brien, that old cousin of my own, who left Broadford in the, uh, around 1850 and married, the, I think it was a consul. German family, so you have this uh, contrast, somebody coming from Germany marrying an Irish girl and she uh, she traced their descendants Mm -hmm. and also other people from Broadford who would have gone to Australia Mm -hmm. because there was a lot of assisted migration after the famine where people went out, paid for family members to go. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of the assisted, you know, uh, a word comes to mind as I reflect on that one. Uh, Mickey Joe is going to America but he doesn't have the money to go out so there's always a local Gambian man who'll make it and make the five or five pounds available and he gets the promise that it'll be paid back and actually I think immigration is the ruination of Ireland you know what I mean I know people love to see people doing well when they go foreign but to think of all the generations that we lost it's just frightening, really. When you think, of, yeah, following on that theme, Matt, do you think about the the intelligence of a community? Yes. You know, if one could, you know, wrap it up and uh, and parcel it. Yeah. Because the intelligence doesn't change from generation to generation. It's only the opportunities that yes. change from. And you mentioned uh, the free education year end, which opened up the door yeah. again. And you know. even one person that you'll, uh, that I've uh, done quite a bit of research on is a Daniel Vaughan from Kilbane. Yeah. He left Broadford as a young man, uneducated. Uh, sorry, he had, he had um, very elementary education. Yeah. And he became, um, through his own self-education in America, in Cincinnati especially, one of the top astronomers that the United States ever had. So you'd had this incredible innate ability. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That only came out. Absolutely. We were, we were, was somewhere recently we were, we found that, um, it's speculation, I suppose, but they work on, on figures that if Ireland didn't have the famine yeah. and were able to grow, yeah. Uh, yeah. that we'd have something like 25 million people yes. uh, in Ireland today. Yeah. Well, I say, Jim, if, if we started with a base figure of 8,200 and we had maintained that sort of figure, we'd be very formidable in the senior championship. Jim knows this story. I have, um, I'm, I'm uh, living in the townland of uh, Fossa Bake yes. in Scarif. And in the 1841 census, the population of that small townland yeah was over 600, yes, roughly 50-50%, okay, between male and female. 
Um, there were 126 houses in it. Incredible. Okay, yeah. incredible. Yeah. In 1851, there are 20 houses left. A hundred over a hundred houses gone. You, you can oh, certainly write about them. Yeah, demolished. And there were uh, a hundred, roughly a hundred and ten people. Five hundred people disappeared yes. out of the census. Well, that mirrors now, John, what I have seen in townlands in Broadford, especially those away from the village yeah. and away from Kilban village. The further you, you go upland mm. into maybe land that hasn't even a single house today, yes. people yeah. had gone there to grow potatoes and to support their families. Yeah. And those houses were pulled down, some of them forcibly, yes. with landlord evictions after yeah. the, the yeah. famine. Yeah. You, you go ahead, Jim. No, I just... Could I ask you in relation to going back much further, we'll say, yeah. than the last few centuries in terms of archaeological sites in Broadford? Yeah. How rich is Broadford in in things like, we'll say, grave sites, dolmens, wedge tombs, uh, mass rocks even, not going back so far, ring forts? I'm probably going to deny you, Jim, by claiming again to be one of the richest uh, <laughs> parishes in Clare. I'm repetitive on that. But the reason I'm saying that is it is. First of all, uh, one guidebook referred to Broadford as the megalithic capital of East Clare because there's all of these uh, megalithic tombs, dolmens, Diamond Bay, whatever uh, people refer to them as, scattered on the hillsides. There's quite a few of those. Then you had the, the Iron Age forts. And as recently as 20 years ago, one of the finest Iron Age forts in Ireland was discovered on Fermile Hill. And the reason it was, was never found prior to that is the ramparts in it were so large that when you were walking along the ground, to most people they just appeared like a ditch yeah. between fields. And it was all, only after aerial photography oh, yeah. that it was identified as large and as, as extensive as Mohan Fort in the market in Fergus. Mm. So it would be one of the top five or six Iron Age forts uh, unknown, mm. well, Arch, um, Arch, I think PJ Mason was telling me that the uh, it's, uh, UCC has started on very basic preliminary archaeological work. So, and you have mass rocks, you have uh, all of the the usual archaeological sites that you'll find. You have two beautiful uh, medieval graveyards. You have Kilsiley and Kilkennedy. Both are worth visiting. Sometimes they get a little bit overgrown, and in Kennedy, a number of years ago, there was a, a John McMahon was responsible for cleaning um, much of the uh, of the grave mm. the, of the graves, and all of these beautiful horizontal slate slabs were found um, from the late 18th century, and the lettering on them was as clear really as the day on which they were carved. And where are they now? They are still there. Um, over, I, I say. Protected by grass, really, which is good in a way. If you yeah. walked there today, you wouldn't see them. But there's, they're underneath a, a small layer of, of, um, of mud. Pat, as we were coming to the end of our half an hour, it's gone, mm. flown, my God, that's mm. one. I'm thinking all the, 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 the uh, locations you've mentioned, all of the early history, prehistory, and down into the more modern era, Invites it invites very very much um, a survey, a map first of all that yes. would encompass yes what the headings of what yes. you've been talking about, the marking of buildings yes 
I mean, the, the Bayankany building, like that, and I nearly drive into it a few times. Yeah, and can I just mention there was yeah. a fever hospital in Kilbane, even the site of that. Was that part of the Scarf? Uh, it was part of the Limerick Union, and there was actual uh, fever was so prevalent in the 18, in 1847 that they yeah. opened a fever hospital. It's where the old Henbal Alley in, in Kilbane Village was. Yeah. And actually, John, on that point of things being marked and explored, I blame myself to a large extent. If I only produce <coughs> what I have there, at least it might prod somebody else on to do Abs- a little bit abs- more. Absolutely. And you did say, you see, that the bibliography is going to be crucial. Yes. Do you know, the actual... That, that's where the, the ordinary chap who will read your book yeah. will say, God, I, I think I'll check that. That and already people else. like Martin Cooper, Martin is yeah. coming in and his group yeah. and they're uh, cleaning up the the new Protestant graveyard, if you like, which was... Yes. That's right, and he's yes. been telling us yes. about yes. it. But there is one in Kilsiley predating yes. that. Yes. You know what I mean? Isn't, so. I'm just thinking two things, first of all. Uh, isn't it a great legacy to leave the young people of Broadford the legacy of their of their history oh, yeah. and and you know where they came from and what happened yeah. before them, and the other thing I'm thinking of was the the tourism potential of the, all the various things that you have spoken about. Absolutely, none of them hugely big yeah. like the Cliffs of Moher, but a lot of small things that will keep people in the area in Broadford you know, interested yeah. in positive. An ideal for the modern interests of hill walking and cycling oh, and so on. Yeah, you know absolutely. I mean? yeah. But also, also, as following on that very point, Jim, the pride in, the, in your place. I mean, the pride in your place can be a negative thing or it can be a positive yes. thing. We're looking for positivity in, in yeah. this. And it, the, what you just said there co- would contribute hugely to the people of Broadford acknowledging their past with pride. Yes. yes. Do you know? Which and it doesn't have to be a hurling match against Tala. Or, <laughs> no. or Scarlet. Or Scarlet. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, a pleasure talking to you. Thank, Thank you, man. Pat, we're okay. delighted. I mean, we could, we could have you in again next month and we could spend the same amount of time and it would be just as interesting. Please, God, when the book does come out, we'll, we'll have a chat again. OK, well, uh, just to say, my two sons, I have three sons, uh, but Aidan and Angus have taken... I'd never have completed it, to be honest, Only They have decided it's time to produce something, so I have no choice. But <laughs> They've stirred you on. They have, yeah. <laughs> Pat O'Brien, many thanks, and uh, all the best, and we look forward to seeing thanks you soon to both, again. Thanks to both you.